When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I believed in his in his sexiness. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. One, two, three. It's Mackie and Judd with Rami. With Rami. We're wasting no time today, gentlemen. Let's get it. How are you guys? Let's go. Rami in the in quarantine studio yes, queue. Yes, sir. Judd Zolgad here. Jonathan Harrison. I am excited. It's Mackie and Judd with Rami. And we'll get Jake Reed is going to be part of the show today telling 1998 Viking stories in about 25 minutes. The Scoop with Doogie at 5 o'clock. Inside information about our local sports teams. Cram session today. But when Godfather Mock speaks, we listen. On this show, Mel Kuyper's 3.0. I want to mock! Mock! I want to mock! Mock! Let's get it. All right. We haven't done as much mocking on the show lately, and with a week and change until the NFL draft, we're going to dial it up. Did we discuss? I know we did on Score North Live weekdays, noon to two, anytime you want on the Score North app. Did we discuss uh, Bill Bardwell's all-trade mock yesterday? We haven't yet. Because that we is haven't. the epitome of reckless speculation it, right there. It's man. gold. It's two segments in one for us, too. It's yeah. I want to mock and reckless speculation. Yes, so let's de- let's de- we should maybe just get to that right after we get done with Kuiper here, okay? Agreed. All right. All right. Number one, he's got Joe Burrow and his tiny hands going to the Cincinnati Bengals. He's got Chase Young to the Redskins. At one point, he had Tua going three to the Lions, I believe, like two mocks ago, or maybe oh, one mock ago. I, it's I like can't remember. A thousand years ago, man. But now, is this three This is three right? Yeah, this is three This is time a, is a flat circle. No, I'm sorry, know, it's four I'm sorry. Well, how can you start? I'm <laughs> what sorry. What happened? I'm sorry. <laughs> it's almost like you're not worthy of reading the Kuiper now. Two point, two point oh was where he had two are going to the lights. Mackie's a mock fraud at this point. Fraud. <laughs> mock fraud. You're a mockery you to mocks, is what you are. Jonathan, that's good. Screw you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Number four to the Giants. He's got the uh, linebacker from Clemson, Isaiah Simmons. Justin Herbert, quarterback, Oregon, going to the Dolphins. He's got Tua tumbling all the way down to the Chargers at six. All right, let's skip to the good stuff. The Vikings have two first round picks. Godfather Mock Mel Kuyper with the number 22 pick has the Vikings taking wide receiver from Arizona State Brandon Ayuk is that how you pronounce it? 
Sure. Ayuk? Yeah. Ayuk? I'm, I'm so, nodding my head in complete agreement. Let's go with any one of those. Until the Vikings take him, I am with you. <laughs> Brian Ayuk. We'll just say it fast and move sure. on to the 25th pick where he's got the Vikings taking it. Cornerback from Utah, Jalen Johnson. I want to mock! Mock! I want to mock! mock. Here are the write-ups real quick. On the wide receiver from Arizona State, as I mentioned in my 3.0 mock draft, the Vikings don't have much at wide receiver beyond Thielen. In a deep receiver class, they have to take one here at 25. And in this scenario, I'm giving them one of the best playmakers in the class. He averaged 18.3 yards per catch. He's a great athlete who plays bigger than his six foot. I'm listening to Kuiper's voice as I read this too. He's a great athlete, plays bigger than his six foot frame, 81 inch wingspan, only an inch behind Calvin Johnson's. Putting Calvin Johnson in this write up is a good little teaser for us Viking fans. Mm-hmm. On the cornerback, he says Johnson doesn't have a first round grade, but with length and athleticism, two great mock draft buzzwords. He fits the profile of what Mike Zimmer likes in his defensive backs. Johnson is a bit of a wild card because he played the 2019 season with a torn labrum and had surgery in February, which means not every team will have a full picture on his rehab, especially because you can basically not see these people for several months. So basically that means that that pick is a complete reach. Feels like it. Feels like it. He's hurt. He's probably not, shouldn't be drafted where he's going to be taken, but the coach likes players who are built like him. And therefore, said team reaches for him. So I got a question for you, okay? Godfather Mock paints a pretty good picture here, and, and I think he's been wide receiver, cornerback, wide receiver, cornerback, aggressively in his mocks for the Vikings, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the mock drafts that I see, you know, cornerback is is clearly a position of need, and uh, and I'll see even like pass rusher because Ever- Everson Griffin's gone, right? So somebody off the edge to take over for Everson Griffin. My question for you guys is, when did we move off offensive line? For the Vikings, like when did offensive line stop becoming the biggest need to protect a quarterback that's not mobile, to shore up a unit that's been mostly patchworked for the last eight years? Like when did all of a sudden we just feel good enough about the offensive line to not no, use one of the two first see, round picks you have on a tackle? I or think something? your logic is off. I don't think it's that they they feel so good about the offensive line that they don't feel a need to draft one there. I think it's that so many holes have opened up. That there are there are multiple options and and multiple holes to plug there with those first two picks. I said this to Judd a few weeks ago when he was losing his mind at the last Godfather mock and saying how how is neither of those picks in the first round an offensive lineman or a tackle? And I said because there are so and not not just holes. Almost every premium position in the NFL is a need right now for the Minnesota Vikings. You look at you look if you were going to do power rankings of the most important positions in football in some order, it would be quarterback, offensive tackle, uh, pass rusher, and cornerback. And every one of those, except for quarterback, is a need right now for the Minnesota Vikings. So I'm not. If I'm a Vikings fan, I'm not dead set on you having to get a tackle in in the first round with one of those two picks because there are other spots that are grave needs right now, premium positions that are grave needs for this football team. Okay, but there is something I'm confused by. Did, did you guys see the Kirk Cousins day Zoom conference call today? The first I time I saw that he quotes. did it. Yeah. The yes. first time since yeah. he has uh, signed his contract. It's very, very con- a lot of controversial stuff from Kirk Cousins. Oh, Kirk Cousins just going off. I mean, talking about COVID. Judd, more or less star power than our Zoom conference call we did last week? Uh, less star power. Okay. Way less. Way less. Right. Not nearly as exciting as the Mackie and Judd with Rami conference call that mm-hmm. was done via Zoom. But Chad Graff uh, tweeted this one out of The Athletic. He says, Kirk Cousins on the expectations for the Vikings offense. And here's the quote. 
We expect to run the ball and commit to running the ball effectively all year long, which again hammers home the point that Zim and the boys want to run the football. Run, 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 run. All right? So we keep talking about a receiver here to to go with Thielen, and I get that. But are you going to use for 2020, when obviously the goal is we want to run the football and pass some? Passing's nice. Passing's really cute. But you know what? I love meat and potatoes run. Are we really going to be solely focused on trying to replace Stefan Diggs in the first round when we know that Diggs forced his way out because of dissatisfaction with how the offense was going? The fact that Cousins is the quarterback of the team, the guy who his arm makes him his millions, is talking about run, run, run. Are we really going to be fixated on replacing Stefan Diggs with a first-round pick that the Vikings deem to be as good as Diggs when clearly, internally, the goal is Dalvin Cook and run and will pass when we can. But this is really about one thing, hand the football off to Dalvin. I mean, it's a it's a fair question about philosophy and what the Vikings plan to do. I don't think you can go into this, even if you are thinking wide receiver, I don't think you can go into this thinking we're just we're gonna we're gonna for sure replace Stefan Diggs. There's no guarantee that even with a first round wide receiver that has all kinds of talent, I mean there's some ridiculously good on-paper wide receivers. And there's no guarantee that any of these guys are going to wind up being top 10 caliber like Stefan Diggs. And that's why I just keep bringing it back to, and, and, and I'm going to assume that the Mel Kuypers of the world, that they've got a better feel for you know strength of position, etc. And you should not just be desperate for position of need. I right. get that too. Right. But are the Vikings, are the Vikings so set when it comes to pass blocking and run blocking, that they wouldn't take an offensive lineman with one of the two first-round picks. Like like any combination you want to go with here, I just feel like unless there's a dearth of offensive linemen when you get to the back half of the first round, and maybe there's like, maybe there's just a bunch of second- and third-round graded guys once you get to that point, and so it doesn't make sense. But like, what what helps you the most over the next five years? A wide receiver or a franchise road-grading Left or right tackle, depending on what you want to do with Brian O'Neill. Left tackle. So, like, I just don't want to lose sight of that. Like, oh, cornerback opened up. Oh, why, oh they traded Stefan Diggs. Oh, yes, absolutely. Those are those are positions of need. But the thing that, like, I, I the last couple days have been just washed in nostalgia for us. We did the 1998 Vikings Rewind episode, which you can find anywhere you find podcasts. Minnesota Sports Rewind, Apple, Spotify, Scorner app. Last night, they reran the 2009 Vikings game, Brett Favre against the Packers, right? And obviously, in both of those instances, Randy Moss is the the flashy Hall of Fame wide receiver and the best offense in the NFL in 1998. And Brett Favre gets the attention, as he should. Greatest quarterback season maybe in Vikings history. But the backbone of those two things, 2009 and 1998, were road-grading offensive linemen. Go back to that 1998 team. All right, they had of their five starting offensive linemen. Todd Stucey was the 19th overall pick. Randall McDaniel was the 19th overall pick. Now, now it took them eight, ten years of building this to get built, to that point. But they built it. Yes, most importantly, yes. Corey Stringer was the 24th overall pick yep. in 1995, and they wind up getting Jeff Christie from the Phoenix Cardinals. David Dixon was a ninth round pick that they found in 1992. But like 60 percent of that offensive line was a concerted effort to go draft blue chippers in the first round. 2009, the left side of their offensive line was Bryant McKinney, the number 7 overall pick, and Steve Hutchinson, who with the Seahawks was the 17th overall pick, and by the time the Vikings landed him via free agency, 
was on a Hall of Fame trajectory. So they put Hall of Fame talents to protect Brett Favre's blindside in in 2009. Mm-hmm. So I just like I just don't want us to lose sight of what the most important thing is here, even if it's not as flashy and entertaining as drafting a wide receiver to replace Stephon Diggs. But that's do you why guys disagree that they they also need a wide receiver, they also need a pass rusher, they also need a cornerback. Like I, I need to know what the philosophy is. That's what I need to know, and, and I would like to know if they know. Let me ask you this: Does it even matter what the philosophy is? Let's say you get to twenty-two and you've got relatively equal, like the four guys who are on your board. You got an offensive lineman, a receiver, a cornerback, and a pass rusher, it, and they're all kind of like it matters to me because I'm I, drafting the lineman. It matters to me because I I'd like to stop the thing I fear, and the thing I fear is that they've got the wrong idea and that they're going to screw up. And I'll tell you why: offensive line. You know where they're not bad currently, right now? Offensive line-wise, boys? Run blocking. Run blocking. Yeah. All right? So they're thinking to themselves, hold on a second. Our bread and butter, running the football. We're good there. We're fine there. We're okay there. We don't need to do what needs to be done to build a, a line. I would, I would love to know the philosophy to get in the train tracks in the way of what I think they might do. Which will be a major mistake. Which would which would be to say if we make the right draft picks for the short term, i.e., let's say corner receiver in 2020, bingo, that's going to help us immediately. I would say no and go with what Phil just explained, which is you guys have been ignoring not completely, but been negligent on that O line for far too long. And let's not try to fix it for 2020. Let's try and fix it for the next eight to ten yeah, years. And real quick, Rami, just sorry to keep cutting in with my offensive line uh, bruising takes here, but the Vikings over the last fifteen years, basically since Bryant McKinney, like they never draft linemen in the first round. Only, only like two times. And Garrett Bradbury was one of them, and he does deserve he deserves more of a runway than one year where he he started off terribly for sure in the first month, and there were some signs of improvement. But I don't think. It should just be, all right, well, drafted, drafted an offensive lineman in the first round. We're good for five more years on that position in the first round. No, I, I think they should look to stack first-round offensive lineman talent maybe even like three years in a row if they get the opportunity. And again, if you get to those picks, you don't have that luxury. it just doesn't make sense. You don't have that luxury. They're not good enough to do that, Mackey. They're, they're to, not to draft good enough, offensive linemen? No, to draft off first-round offensive linemen three years in a row. They, would, they don't. They have too many holes, too many, too many liabilities right now to do that. But I would argue, I would argue that their lack of success finding what they need along the offense, like they've actually done a pretty good job patchworking with the Josh Kleins and like randomly finding John Sullivan ten years ago as a franchise center in the fifth or sixth round. But I think there's no bad time to stock up on offensive linemen in the first round. I don't. I don't think there's. I don't think there's any bad scheme or philosophy. Or time in your winning cycle, I don't think. Like, I don't. I can't think of a scenario unless you already have three or four amazing offensive linemen that are franchise guys. I would never rip a team for taking an offensive lineman in the first round unless they were reaching for a third round grade or something. I'm not saying don't take an offensive lineman. I'm just saying that that's not the only need that they have right now. And I wouldn't reach for an offensive lineman. I don't believe in best player available, and neither do most GMs. Most GMs especially with that first pick, are trying to address a need. They're trying to fill a hole. And when, when I have four four needs at four premium positions, wide receiver, cornerback, pass rusher, and offensive line, 
I'm just going to take the two best players available at any one of those four positions because being without having any of those be a liability going into the season puts you at serious risk of not contending, guys. Like, I'm not saying that offensive line is not a problem, that it doesn't need addressing. I'm saying there are other positions that also need addressing. And so uh, don't, don't just skip over those and say we have to go offensive line in the first round. I'm taking the two best players, not best player available, off the board, I'm taking the two best players at any one of those four positions that I just listed off. Because you you have made vacancies at those positions this offseason. And other than cornerback, you made vacancies over guys who were actually playing pretty good. Who were actually playing pretty good football for you last year. Everson Griffin was a good defensive end for this football team. They have to replace that production. Stephon Diggs is a top 10 wide receiver in this league. They need to replace that production and his impact in terms of drawing attention from defenses and opening things up for other teams. There's a lot to fix here. There's a lot to fix. And to just say it's offensive line or bust in the first two rounds, I think, is misguided. That's why they they need us desperately to counsel them. (laughs) They need to listen to us. Because because I listen to an offer, Judge Rami. All the stuff that you just threw out is right, but there's too much. You're saying you're you're not wrong, but there has to come a time in this sport, especially where because a rebuild in football does not take five years. Now it takes a couple, possibly, right? Phil? Kind of depends. So, like who's your quarterback? Exactly right. So what they need to do is they need to think this through logically and realize that with the players who have departed. And some of them are departing still playing pretty good football, and some of them have just declined and gone off the cliff. But what they need to, to understand is a door is closing here. Like the, the biggest problem in sports, and football, it's a huge one, is continuing to try to prop open a door that has basically closed. It's slamming on your finger, all right? So, so but they've, they've realized that. Your finger is a bloody mess. But they, but if they don't do the draft right, they haven't. If they try and fill needs from day one of 2020, that's a potentially brutal mistake. If you bring in, if you're just like, we're going to replace Stefan Diggs. Well, one, no, Phil's right, you're not. And two, is that the place to get a, a guy? There, there are drafts. 2009, Percy Harvin falls to 21, right? And he's got some baggage, but you know what? He's a damn good player. And you knew, you knew from day one of his rookie year that Percy was going to make a difference, and he did. And it was a great draft pick for that team. But if that was this Vikings team, it's not a great draft pick because this Vikings team needs substance. It needs to build. And it doesn't mean that it's three years out, but it does mean that it's a couple years out. And so so I would love to counsel them. I would really like to see them issue a full report to me right now <laughs> saying these are our intentions. Because then I could say, no, you're just wrong. Don't do it that way. Don't do it that way. And the one thing that I sense from this team and, and uh, back to our offensive line, left tackle conversation in particular, the one thing I sense, and they shouldn't be scared by this, but I think they are, is Matt Khalil. You know what? Matt Khalil, fourth pick had one good year and busted. Unfortunate. But your idea was right. The process was right. You're, exactly. Totally the, pon- the ponder process was flawed. The Khalil one should not scare you one bit. It just didn't work. But I would... That's why I keep coming back to what are you doing? Because I'm not confident you fully know... I, I think you've got different people serving different masters and different agendas here. I would just like to put a bow on this, and we and we got to get to this Barnwell. Let's do a d- double round of mockage here, and then we'll get to Jake Reed in about 10 minutes or so here on Mackie and Judd with Rami. 
but it's it, we keep hearing it's oh, it's a really deep wide receiver draft. It's one of the best wide receiver drafts. Like when I hear that, I think great. Then I'm less likely to take a wide receiver in the first round. If it's such if it's such a deep wide receiver draft, and I will trust that it is on paper, then I would look to fill the other positions of need and try to go find Diet Stefan Diggs in the third round. Okay, then I, if if it's if it's a little bit less on offensive tackle talent and a little bit less on pass rusher talent, and a couple of those guys are sitting there late in the first round, I'm taking those guys and then drafting the seventh wide receiver off the board in the third round or something like that. But Mel Kuyper was just, I think Mel Kuyper might have just been the opening act on ESPN.com when it comes to Real quick, before we move on to Barnwell, can I I point out one observation that that I made in reading the Godfather's mock? Because he slides Tua down to the Chargers at six, right? He does. And if if you want Tua, if you're thinking Reckless speculation. You know that this is even that reckless, guys. After doing the math, after going through the order of the draft... And let's say the Dolphins, or let's say the Bengals are going to take Joe Burrow, right? And then the Dolphins take Herbert. After that, the only teams that need a quarterback ahead of the Vikings on the board are the Chargers and the Raiders. Now, the Raiders have two picks. So that's, of the 22 picks ahead of you, only three of those, only three of those picks, two by the Raiders, are really a potential possibility of taking Tua. That means that when we talk about Tua slipping to the it? Vikings... That's amazing. Yeah. When we so, talk about Tua slipping to the Vikings, we think 21 teams need to pass on Tua. No. Three teams need to pass on Tua okay. for him to slip to the Vikings, which isn't that crazy. Let's just go through this for fun here, all right? Because I, I heard Matthew Collar's rant on Purple Daily from late last week, and I fully agree. If you fall into a situation where all of a sudden, like, the Chargers pass on Tua, and it's like... 15th, 16th pick, and it's creeping toward you, and he's still sitting out there. You go get your 10-year franchise but quarterback. you don't even have to. I mean, unless you're looking to jump the Raiders. Look, let's say he's he has the Chargers taking him at 6, right? I'm going to run down the list. You guys tell me if you hear any teams here that would think about drafting a quarterback in the first round. Okay. You got the Panthers, the Cardinals, the nope, Jaguars. Nope. The Browns. Well, who's the Jags quarterback right now? They went. They're going. They're going all in on a uh, mustache guy. Yeah. Oh, Gardner, Gardner Minshew. Yeah. Did he get a contract? They would take Tua. No, they traded Nick Foles. They traded Nick away. Foles and said he's our they starter. The cap hit they, yeah, until, they would, until Tua they, falls to they nine. They would cut Tua okay, off. Let's, let's, You're let's, telling me like Uncle Rico with no, with, it's not gonna, with no, no, jorts. No. Let's take them at their word that they believe in Gardner Minshew. That they are not looking at a quarterback at this moment, right? Okay. Then you got the Jets, Raiders at twelve. You passed but, the Browns. The Browns have Browns have Baker Mayfield. They just yeah. hired Kevin Stefanski. They just hired Kevin Stefanski you, to mold you Baker really Mayfield. Rodgers 2.0 in 2020 could happen. Someone's going to cut that guy off and take him. Jets at 11. Raiders again at 12. Oh, the Jets are crazy. Then they you got the 49ers, Buccaneers. They just signed some dude. Broncos, Falcons, Cowboys. Actually, actually you know what? The Buccaneers would be an amazing landing spot for Tua. That'd be funny. Learn behind Tom Brady for a minute. It's what a two-year is, contract. Here's my question. What's going to take to get up to six? Get that Chargers pick. Because somebody's going to go up. Somebody, Oakland, or somebody would go up. The Rodgers thing is never going to ha- happen in my lifetime again. The free fall of a, well, of a potential star quarterback is not going to happen. But it happened with Lamar Jackson. 
It happened with Teddy Bridgewater. And, I don't and think at, Lamar, at the time of those picks. Yeah, but those guys weren't seen as as highly at that time as Tua or Aaron back in 2005 were projected. I'm trying, like, like Aaron was projected as the number one pick at one point. It was going right? to be was him or Alex Smith, Smith. Or Aaron. But before the combine, before Teddy Bridgewater, he had some sort of workout without gloves or yeah, something. Didn't go right? Well. But he was, and then Norm before that stuff, out. he was projected to be the number one pick by some mock drafts. But I agree, it wasn't on the Aaron Rodgers but two level. Is but. A top, two is perceived as, as a top five pick. But my question is this. What's it going to take, if you're the Vikings, to go up to six and convince the Chargers? It would be probably, well, both of your first-round picks okay, this year. Okay, bye. And then probably a first-round pick next year. Bye to that one, too. Mm, three first-round picks? I don't think it would take three first-round picks. To move up, But you're How not about- only moving up to six. You're moving up to six and fighting off the other four teams that are also trying to move up to six. And Oakland would probably... Would probably offer their two what four first teams rooms. like right now. The only teams ahead of there are four teams looking for a quarterback. Period, and that's the Dolphins, the Chargers, the Raiders, and the Patriots. And I don't think that's true because I think there's some other teams in here that you think on paper like, oh, the Browns aren't looking for a quarterback. They have Baker Mayfield. Yeah, but if Kevin Stefanski came in and said, "Listen, I'm the new coach. <laughs> We're doing this thing my way," and I think Baker Mayfield is a bad leader. I think he has a low emotional. I, a, I don't think IQ. he takes that job if that's the case. I think Kevin Stefanski took that job thinking, I can fix him. I can mold him. But you guys don't think that there are... There's 32 teams in the NFL, all of them desperate for quarterbacks. There's like 10 or 12 teams right now that either don't have a quarterback or would move off their guy immediately if Tua fell into into striking range. I'm not saying all these teams are right and have found their quarterback. I'm saying all these teams believe that they have found their quarterback. Some of them are gravely mistaken, okay? I'm not all in on Gardner Minshew, necessarily. So I'm not arguing with Rami. I'm arguing with, like, an anonymous idiot general manager right now. But the Jaguars bail. The the Jaguars bail on Mustache Man. I don't think so. But here's my my offer right now. My two first-round picks, and I will give you my first-round pick in 21. Let me ask this. What what do you have to say just to represent? Because I know that people, if you're listening, you're probably not in your car anymore. But like, pe- there's a lot of people listening that are Maybe saying, well, what, what, did they not just sign Kirk Cousins to a contract extension? To the people that are listening to this saying, uh, hello, they just guaranteed 60 plus million to Kirk Cousins over the next two years. What do you say? There are no no trade clauses in that. And Tua can sit a year and watch Kirk Cousins, and then we can see where he plays football and, next year. And Tua is a lot cheaper to be clear, and helps you build your roster. To be clear, gentlemen, I am have been since Friday, and I am on the phone with my now good friend, Bill O'Brien. That Deshaun Watson trade, if I'm Spielman, I am all over that potential. That only works if Deshaun Watson has said he wants out. Hmm, let's see. Deshaun Watson's friends are all being traded. Deshaun, Deshaun Watson's boss appears to be a moron. Since we're already down this path. Reckless speculation. I found a website called 12up.com yeah. today. And I want full credit for this idea. 12up.com. was all based on this idea. Some writer named Jerry Trotta. Yeah, Again, zero credibility that I know of to either the website or the author. I call him Jer. But this did come across NFL oh Twitter God, Jer. today. Jer, Jer, Gerald, you know, whatever. Our guy Jer says, this Vikings-Texans-Kirk-Cousins-Deshaun-Watson trade could blow up the NFL. Reckless speculation. And he writes, <laughs> anybody else getting the feeling that Bill O'Brien's inventory of unexplainable decisions, particularly as the makeshift general manager of the Texans, is quietly setting the stage for a blockbuster trade? 
O'Brien sanctioning a deal that sent wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins could serve as the final straw for Deshaun Watson. At some point, you have to think that the 24-year-old star will demand a trade. When he does, the Minnesota Vikings should get the ever-compliant O'Brien on the phone right away. Reckless speculation. When they embed a cryptic tweet from Deshaun Watson from March 25th, no GM in the NFL would ever consider trading a generational talent like Watson, but O'Brien is a rare breed of incompetent. <laughs> I feel like I wrote it. Maybe this time he'll manage to obtain a first-round pick, yep. in addition to Viking signal caller Kirk Cousins, who inexplicably received a fresh contract extension this offseason. Judd, do you write for a website called 12up.com by chance? Talk, I can't talk about it. I don't. You're contractually obligated to score north. Is my non deplume Jerry something? I'm just going to say, don't I, don't, I don't know that much about 12up. I think I follow him on Twitter. That article made its way across my timeline, too. This is the third article that I've seen in the last couple of weeks, right on the heels of us talking about something, them writing something. So either. <laughs> Speculation. Somebody over there is listening and poaching, and that's fine. We'd all do it in this industry, yeah, or or it's Judd. <laughs> it's one of the two. Judd. Somebody over there is listening and poaching, or it's Judd. I'm going to send a text to my guys at 12 up. <laughs> They're on to us. Let's cool it with stealing stuff from Score North. The article concludes, in theory, the Texans would avoid doling out big money to a player, albeit a superstar, that has no intention of playing for the team. In return... They'd acquire valuable draft picks and a capable quarterback in Cousins who could make them a fringe playoff squad in a top-heavy AFC, which sounds like the history of the Texans, a fringe playoff squad in a top-heavy AFC. Kirk Cousins would be great. As for the Vikings, well, they'd be getting a franchise-altering gunslinger. It's far from likely, but anything is possible with Bill O'Brien running operations in Houston. Reckless speculation. And just quickly, let's retweet this. As as <laughs> Rami explained last week, it's very important too. The cap hit on the the dead money on the trade would be huge, but because Watson's contract is so cheap, you could do it. As yeah. Rami said, he's exactly it's a right. Sunk cost, yeah. Basically, just add Deshaun Watson's salary plus it. the dead the dead cap money of Kirk Cousins. Should you trade him, and it's four million dollars more than if you just kept Kirk Cousins and paid him. I think Deshaun Watson is worth four million dollars more than Kirk Cousins. I'm not going to argue for one second. Anybody got a cigarette? And you've got your quarterback of the future. <laughs> All set. It was amazing. You've got eight years or something like that. Well, we will. Well, let, let's come back to let's come back to the I gotta take the Bill Barnwell stuff too. There's more where that came from. The NFL draft is next week, and we will have a couple big announcements here at Score North on Monday. Two big announcements related to next week's programming across all platforms that we will announce for you on Monday. I don't even think you guys know about one of them. You know about one of them, but not the other one. We're trying to. We're gonna. We're gonna give Thanks, something boss. away next week. Yeah. We're, we're gonna. We're gonna give away Rami's. Uh, <laughs> Rami's hey, entire. Jack. Rami's entire living room. Worth of- Rami's quarantine studio. Yeah. Just don't. T- no, don't, don't touch do his that. Fridge. Loving my studio. Don't touch his. Touch his fridge. You'll be fine. When we you touch come his back, fridge, you're in trouble. Former Vikings star wide receiver Jake Reed on the 1998 Vikings. When we come back here to Mackie and Jub with Rami. Powered in part by Federated Mutual Insurance Company. And during these uncertain times, Federated Insurance just wants to express their gratitude for one thing that remains true. Your American spirit. Business owners out there, business owners in Minnesota. Federated wants to thank you 
and thank medical professionals and rescue workers for all your service over these past six or seven weeks or so. And also thank you to local businesses. Those are the community partners with Federated Insurance, the neighbors of Federated Insurance, families, friends. When you need Federated, Federated is definitely here to help, and uh, they view this thing as a partnership. You can visit federatedinsurance.com to find out about all the valuable resources you as a business owner can use during these times, like written pandemic policies and procedures, recommended response plans, even communication to employees, which is always important, but more important now than ever. Federatedinsurance.com to find your local marketing representative and to find all the trusted resources you may need. At Federated, it's their business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Score North and many of our local advertising partners remain open for business. And you can hear from them daily right here on Score North, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. We are all in this together, and you can hear how you can support our local community by visiting scorenorth.com keyword open. If you're just tuning in to Score North right now and you missed the 3 o'clock hour, the top of it, we are joined by... ESPN's Ryan Clark, Matthew Collar, and Ryan Clark talked about defensive back prospects that Ryan likes in the draft, and specifically talking about Antoine Winfield. Here's what Ryan said about Antoine Winfield Jr. Uh, he has an innate ability to find the ball, uh, whether it's fumbles, forcing fumbles, scooping fumbles, interceptions, tackles for loss. And I think those are the type of players that end up being great players for your team because they play special teams, they can play safety, they can play dime, they can play nickel. So he's a guy I'm very excited about coming into this draft. You can find that full interview on the Purple Daily feed right now anywhere you find your podcasts, all for free, especially over at the Score North. Dot com and the free Score North mobile app. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Mackie and Jonathan Rami. Thank you, Jonathan. The scoop with Doogie in about 25 minutes. Inside information about our local sports teams. Judd and I had a chance to catch up with one of the great skill position players in Vikings history and also one of the underrated skill position players just because Chris Carter and Randy Moss were also part of the same era. But Jake Reed was part of an episode of Minnesota Sports Rewind focused on the 1998 Vikings offense. You can find the full episode and binge all 16 of them available right now. Minnesota Sports Rewind, Apple, Spotify, or the Score North app. And uh, Jake joined us to tell some stories about that 1998 team. This is our conversation with Jake Reed. All right. He caught over 400 passes with the Minnesota Vikings Four consecutive 1,000-yard seasons, and he ranks fourth on the Vikings' all-time receiving yards list. Jake Reed joins the show. Thank you, Jake, for taking some time out of your day. We appreciate it. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. And, uh, hey, it's always good to know someone still want to talk to you after 20-plus years. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you know, that 1998 season wasn't memorable for any reason, so I can't imagine why people would be interested, but... So when when you think back to the 1998 season, Jake Reed, how do you think that team stacks up historically? Obviously, if you guys had won the Super Bowl, I think we, it would be a totally different conversation around the country in terms of ranking the all-time great teams. But uh, from from the 15 and one season and what you guys accomplished, how would you stack that team up against other teams in NFL history? Well, I would stack the offense up against anybody offense throughout history. I think our biggest problem, we struggled on defense. We didn't have a super, super defense. We had like John Ryan on the line. 
I think our secondary kind of struggled a little bit. I think that's what kind of killed us in, on the back end, some of our secondary guys. And I know some of the older guys in 9-8 probably, they see their problems uh, go at me uh, because of it. But I think our offense will, could stack up against anyone. I think just overall, overall as we play with, uh, with a team, we should be in the top ten. I think at the end, the way we, sh- we thought it would end, I think that I don't think we got overconfident. I think we just got careless at some point throughout the game and just let them let, let them back in it. So, Jacob, how much, you know, t- talking about that 98 Vikings offense, and it, this might sound like hyperbole, but I don't think it truly is, how much did that offense change football, too? Because, you know, up until then, we certainly saw good o- offenses, but now we had you and Randy and Chris and Cunningham and it's almost like, to me as a football fan, that you can draw a line, and the league looked at that and that offensive explosion, and that team was so much fun and said, let's do more of that, and almost started to sway the rules towards that. How much do you think that you guys offensively helped to shape the league as we know it now with dynamic offenses? Well, I think it shaped a lot. And one thing you know, you just can't have one good receiver. The way the league is now and the way we set it up, we came in the game, who are you going to guard? Who are you going to double? Me, Chris, Moss. If you double, if you double Moss and try to bracket Chris, I, I, I was on one side. If you did the vice versa, double me and bracket Chris, Moss was going to kill you. And you know, Moss attracted a lot of attention. So you just couldn't leave him one-on-one. You couldn't come up and play press man on him with no help over top. And you know, you know what that would be. That was going to be six. So I think it kind of shaped a lot, and people went through it. And like now, the, the lead is so wide open, and that's why you see more safeties and DBs on the field now because they really—it's almost like a pass first, run secondly. You know, the the, the fullbacks is obsolete. Not many teams use fullbacks anymore. So I think it kind of shaped it a lot. When did Jake Reed look around the field, either in training camp or practice or a game? And realize that 1998 was going to be a special season for the Vikings. Well, uh, I think as we went down, I think the team was pretty close uh, as a as a group, and, um, and and we were fun. But when we got Brandon Moss, I think it just took the whole everything to a whole another level. See, people don't realize the whole the 98 season. I started the whole season. I come off my fourth straight start thousand yard season. And Dennis Green just invented me because we got Moss. Moss worked his way in now. And I think Moss' first starting game, you got to look back with the Cowboys game. And Moss uh, had three catches, three touchdowns. And I don't know remember, I had back surgery that year in 98. Yeah. I had back surgery, and I got to the hospital on Thanksgiving Day. I made sure. I told my need to go to the hospital because I want to watch the game at home. <laughs> and once I get, <laughs> I got the hospital on Thanksgiving Day early that morning. I'm sitting in the chair, and I'm watching the game because, you know, they were pumping up Deion Sanders down there. They didn't know if he was going to play because his toe. And they would say, random mouth, if he played, can he cover Deion? Can Deion cover mouth? And I was like, oh, I need to be at home watch this game. And when I saw Randy catch three, uh, three passes, three touchdowns, with all them yards, I knew, my, I, knew I was the third receiver after that day. You mentioned, I mean, the back surgery. I mean, you were basically from that Dallas game on forward. You were banged up. The team was progressively more banged up, too, just after that Falcons game. 
you know, how many guys were maybe even out for potential Super Bowl. But if, if you guys had stayed healthy and if you had gone on to play the Broncos in the Super Bowl, what do you think happens in that Super Bowl? I would have beat the Broncos. They didn't have enough uh, firepower for us. And I don't think their secondary could have covered us. You know, when I came back, I think I came back a game too early. I think I ended up playing, I played a little bit in the Arizona game to play Arizona before that. And I said, you know, let me get out there and see how my back feel before we go to the, uh, the NFC Championship game. And I should have waited to that game. And I didn't play in the Atlanta game. I think they ended up playing Matthew Hatchett. And, uh, and they covered in the second half, came out, they made an adjustment. I think they doubled Moss, they bracket Chris in the slot. And, you know, you know, our other guy just couldn't get open. I think if I had been healthy, they couldn't have, they, they couldn't have ran the defense they run uh they ran to uh shut us down in that second half. Yeah. What's um what's what are one of your one or two of your favorite stories or memories that are safe for radio that aren't gonna get anyone too incriminated, but <laughs> maybe maybe a little incriminated. Maybe a little incriminated. What are what are a couple uh, of your favorite stories? Uh what, just football or with the Vikings? I would say behind the scene, anything behind the scenes that that fans and and us wouldn't have wouldn't have otherwise known if not for you telling the story. Oh man, I have a lot of stories, but I, I keep them pretty much close to heart because those are my boys, you know. Uh, but but we uh, some of the stories is, is you know just I love some of the things just hanging out in the locker room playing dominoes, uh, playing chess, and uh, and you know. You know, the married guy's wife calling and trying to see when we come home and we <laughs> stuck in uh, gambling and playing chess and dominoes and stuff like that in cars. And I'm going home two hours late, you know, after work because I'm in there playing cars. But all the other good stuff, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep those. <laughs> Fair enough. So you, you pl- keep all the good stuff. So, Jake, you played the position and you've seen through the course of your time playing and lifetime a lot of good to great ones. Where does Randy Moss rank as far as wide receivers that you've seen play? He's one of the best, if not the best. Randy was scary. The thing is, the people don't doesn't realize, you know, when a guy get uh, you know, get his own name like Moss, people, you know, kids run around saying you got Moss. <laughs> you know, that is big time. You know, you know, even to this day, young kids, you know, when too young to see Randy Moss play, when they jump over someone's head, they said, man, you just got Moss. And, but Randy was scared. You couldn't, you couldn't play bump and run on him. I, I can remember, uh, we'd have like a slant route on, uh, a, a five yard start route. Randy come off the ball. If he see him up close, he just keep running. I can remember he tell Ronda, I'm not running no start route at five yards and gas in the eight. If he had eight yards, if, if I come off the ball and the guy eight yards, I'm running past him. We were like, man, come on, do the eight yards. You're not going to run past him. He said, if I throw my hand up, that means throw the ball as far as you can throw it. And I can remember Randall said, man, if I throw the ball, you won't catch it. He said, man, throw the ball as far as you can throw it, and I guarantee you I'm going to run up on you. And I can remember Denny Green said, hell, Randall, hell, uh, Randall just throw it to him. <laughs> hey. I remember that. We were like, man, come on. And when Moss come off the ball, if he get up on you like a yard or two yards, you can be in your back up. He's going to throw his hand up. He throw his hand up before he get past the guy. <laughs> and he just run right past him. And we were like, wow, this kid can run. 
Yeah, he, he can run. But for his lifting weights, I know he came in. He didn't like lifting weights. Uh, I, I didn't know they. I didn't realize they didn't really lift weights at Marshall like that. Uh, uh, he didn't have to lift weights like that. And I went with him and received the group, and he was like, "Man, you guys got to do this every uh, two days a week. Lift weights." He said, "Man, I just want to play football." And Chris Carter said, "Man, but we got to lift weights too." And it was kind of fun. And Moss brought a different energy to us, and I think that he brought a different energy to the whole team. And when you have a guy like that on the team in '98, and, and you have Lowry, Robert Smith in the backfield, and all the, you know, uh, Big Random McDaniel on the line, and John Randall on defense, you got all these different characters, and we just felt like we were going to win. And '98 felt like a, a, a rock show. Everywhere we went, people were wanting to see us. It was just, it was a great feeling to have, and you made it made us want to go out there. And win for the fans of Minnesota, win for the Vikings fans, and do our thing. Yeah, uh, Jake Reed. I know how we all felt as as spectators watching Gary Anderson miss his only kick of the season wide left. What was? I mean, I know you weren't playing in the game because of because of the injury, but you know what? What was your thoughts? Did you think, oh my gosh, the game is in question now, or was you know what was it like watching that kick sail wide left? That was tough because he had to miss the kick all year. Yeah. And to watch that, it was like a old moment. Like, oh, now we got to get out here and play. Because, you know, we think, oh, Gary's going to kick this. You know, we're going to be done. But I think that kick gave them life. I think that kick gave them life, but the fumble right before halftime really gave them life. If you guys remember the fumble right yeah. there. Oh, yeah. Yep. And they went in and scored. I think if that had never happened, I think uh, they, they would have came back out defeated. You know, but mm-hmm. I think after they got that fumble and went in and scored, I think they came out like, hey, we got a chance. We in it. And, you know, and sometimes you don't got to, you know, give a, 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 a team one good punch and they start feeling like they can, they can win the game. And that, that's what we gave them right before halftime, that one punch. Because they hadn't done anything the whole first half. You know, I think they had quit up until that, that fumble uh, and, and they score right before half. Chuck Smith beat Todd Stucy, Jake Reed. I'll never forget it. Um, how much at, at this point in time in your life do you think back on that game and when when you do see guys like uh, like Moss and uh, Chris, who, who I, I know you saw here for the first time in a long time when the Vikings played the Packers in December, how much do you guys still talk about that? Because I think of all uh, Vikings teams, 2009 was certainly perceived, and rightfully so, as a lost opportunity. But I think the Vikings team that so many people now who were young then uh, still talk about is that Vikings team, just because it was so good, so dynamic, and obviously 15-1. and one. No, you know what, that game, we don't talk about it as much. But I think the only thing I think we said about it, you know, when you get opportunity to win a championship, a Super Bowl, you got to get it because they come far and through in between. And that was our time. And, you know, with, with all the prayers that we had on that, we never could be able to reduplicate that the, the, the next year. Uh, people leave, uh, things are different. Other teams get other players. But I tell you what, I think we talk about, you know, how good we was for us, the three-deep poster. I think everybody, 
even now be wanting to uh, send me stuff when we sign uh, a 3D poster. Um, so I think we just had some fun times. Uh, you know, we got together. It was good, like a family reunion. It's been a long time since we actually all three been together uh, up under one roof. Uh, it was good. It was good seeing them guys. Hey, when, when that game got done um, against the Falcons, and I know it was upsetting to lose, but big picture, did you guys think that, that it was a missed opportunity and that it might have passed and been gone? Or being athletes and young at that time, relative speaking, did you guys foresee that this might be, I don't know, two or three more years of potentially making runs at Super Bowls. What, what was the feeling in the aftermath of that loss to the Falcons? The feeling was devastating. I'm sorry, it was almost like uh, a family member passed or something. It was just like tumbles, the locker room were quiet. I don't think anyone really blamed Gary Anderson for missing the kick. I know I've been. No one really got on him. But we were such a team. Things happened, you know. Um, but I tell you what, it was a uh, sad moment in the locker room. But also, to answer your question, I thought that we were going to go back and repeat the next year. We have the talent. We have the team. We're going to be different. I thought we were only going to be better the following year. But, you know, the following year, was, uh, what happened, I think, that's the year that no, um, I'm not sure about that's that. When the, that's when the St. Louis Rams came out of nowhere. and uh, Yes, that's when they came out of yeah. nowhere. Yeah. And that is that, is that the same year uh, uh, Curry Stringer passed? Uh, that was I think that was like that. 2000 or 2001, yeah. 2002, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm a little ahead of myself. Yeah, uh, so, but it was, uh, it was like, it was crazy. I just think that we kind of just... Um, Everybody was sick about that game. It took it took me a long time to get over that. It took me a long time to get over it. And sometimes um, I hate uh, even talking to some of the guys that I may run into, you know, and ask me what happened if they played on another team, you know, the Falcons, something like that. I know I ran into Ray Crockett years ago. Uh, like I ran him like two years after, like in 2001, 2002, and we were talking about that thing, and I told him we would have beat him in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, Ray Crockett at the time played for Denver, mm. the cornerback for Denver. Yeah. Well, Jake, listen, man, it's been it's been great just catching up with you, and I know I was I was one of the devastated 13-year-old kids in 1998 <laughs> that had the 3D poster on his wall, too, and it's a, it's a season for... For a lot of reasons that I think a lot of us will never forget, and uh, we just appreciate you coming on and telling stories and, and giving your thoughts and reflecting from 20 years ago, man. Oh yeah, it's fun. You know, anytime I can give it a talk talk to about it with some of the fans, uh, it's always amazing. And maybe one day when some of these stories get a little old, I can come give you some of the, the good the good dirt that happened. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. We'd love to hear it. All right, thank you, Jake yeah. Reed. Man, take care. All right, you guys take care. All right, that was awesome. And if you want the full episode, the deep dive into the 1998 Vikings offense, Minnesota Sports Rewind, anywhere you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, and the Score North app. But, yeah, that was fun. I, I don't think Jake Reed, you know, it's when you rank the skill position players in terms of visibility and popularity, Randy Moss, Chris Carter, Robert Smith, and Jake Reed gets a little bit buried in that 98 season. But that dude had four straight 1,000-yard seasons 
and was a really, really good wide receiver. One of the better, one, like one of the ten or fifteen best wide Here's receivers in the NFL account. for a while. Absolutely. So thanks to him for coming on the show. It's an interesting dynamic too that he talked about the fact that they were so crushed. Because I thought for a second, you know, there, there had to be some guys who were like, "This team was really good. Yeah, we'll come back in, you know, the next year." And it was an interesting um, answer to the question when he basically said, "No, we were crestfallen." Which, in retrospect, they should have been. Yeah, but I thought some guys might be like, "No, we'll be fine." But I wonder why it is. Chris like, Carter was not. I know that he was crying. You know, the the Vikings' history is littered with the next season after you reach a certain point. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to bring it back, and we're going to try this again. I feel like in football, that's just not how it works. In the NBA, it kind of is how it works historically, right? You get beat in the second round, then you get beat in the third round, and then you get over the hump. In the NFL, you get to the NFC Championship game of the Super Bowl, and you get drubbed, and you don't just bounce back. You guys remember the 15-1 and Carolina Panthers a few years ago? All right, well, Cam finally figured it out. Yeah. Going to bounce back. No, they just, even though you have like six months of an off season to figure it out and to get mentally back up for it, teams just, for whatever reason... Once they reach that point, win or lose, you can't just bring the band back together. And the Viking, the Vikings, credit to them, they were still relevant for three years after the '98 game, but oh, sure. they were never quite the same. I thought that team was unstoppable, man. I was, I was probably mm-hmm. just as surprised as you guys were when they when they lost and were brought to mm-hmm. a screeching halt. I thought that team was unstoppable. Halftime, yeah. man. Halftime of that game was a celebration of a team going to a Super Bowl. I remember that until until the sack and the strip by by Chuck Smith when Chuck Smith beats Ducey, that entire experience was basically a formality of getting to the Super Bowl. It was the damnedest thing. Yeah. Well, maybe someday. Great offense, though. That was a fun. That was a fun offense, boys. When we come back, inside information about our local sports teams. It's the scoop with Doogie from Five Eyewitness News and the Scoop Podcast. Mackie and Judd with Rami here on Score North and the Score North app. We could all use a little help while quarantined, and thanks to our many great local partners, Score North Listening Rewards is here to help with some cash relief. All month long, Score North is giving you the chance at $25 to $200 in cash just for listening to us. For your chance at free cash, download the Score North mobile app, register, and you yourself could be a winner. It's not about longevity, it's about peak. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. One, two, three. It's Mackie and Judd with Rami. Agree with Rami. Peak over longevity. Peak over longevity. <laughs> By the way, before we get as to the scoop, get Doogie, to the mountaintop. Speaking of peak over longevity, I think we just saw the peak of Rami Makhlouf's photogenic oh, boy. career. <laughs> Someone sent in a photo. Rami, a friend of you sent you yes. a photo, basically clean shaven or kind of like a greasy five o'clock shadow. Yeah, <laughs> greasy five o'clock. Hold on. Oh, I was greasy in this picture, man. <laughs> Couple hundred pounds ago, no. <laughs> Couple tens ago. So if you want to see Rami Makhlouf, that's not even my fattest. Rami Makhlouf. That's not even me at my fattest, guys. Can I've, you find a picture of you in your fattest? Uh, yeah. Do you have one? Probably. Yeah, I think I got one in my phone. Yeah, maybe send that one out during okay. this next segment here. All at right. Phil Mackey, at Rami is tweeting at Jay Zilgad, and at D Wolfson KSTP. If you want to follow Darren Doogie Wolfson. On Twitter, you can find him as part of the Five Eyewitness News sports team and also host of the Scoop podcast, Score North app, Apple, and Spotify. 
And this is where we get our fix from Doogie every week, information about our local sports teams. And let's start with Vikings draft steam, Doogie. They've got two first-round picks. We just went through Mel Kuyper's 4.0 mock draft that has them taking a wide receiver and a cornerback next week with uh, with those picks. So what what kind of steam are you picking up right now, just over one week away from the Vikings draft? Hello, gentlemen. I would say this, Phil. I think they do take a wide receiver among their first five picks. They have five picks in the top 105. I don't necessarily know if I would bet on them going wide receiver at 22 or 25. I am curious to see if a certain offensive lineman drops Tristan Wirfs of Iowa. I am convinced the Vikings are big fans of his, but he could go as high as the top five to New York, the Giants specifically. But if he started to fall, that would be an interesting name to keep an eye on. Would they move up? I mean, Rick has moved up before. Heck, he moved up for Dalvin Cook, Teddy Bridgewater, Harrison Smith. There are instances where he has moved up. But if they stay at 22 and 25, now it depends on how the board shakes out. I don't specifically know, Phil, what they think of Jefferson, the wide receiver from LSU. I imagine they're fans. But, you know, do they prefer Jalen Johnson, the cornerback from Utah, or Jeff Gladney, the cornerback from TCU? Or the offensive lineman from Houston, Jones, or the offensive lineman from USC, Jackson. You know, but if I had to bet right now, I think they go DB and offensive lineman, then wait to go wide receiver, whether it's KJ Hamler at 58, the kid from Penn State, maybe it's Pittman from USC. I mean, they've done so much homework on all these guys. I mean, you can go up and down the list, Phil. You know, whether it was in Mobile at the Senior Bowl, whether it was in Indianapolis at the Combine, or virtually the last few weeks. The Vikings have connected with every top wide receiver. So I'm positive they'll go wide receiver at some point. I guess I would not be shocked if they ended up going wide receiver at 22 or 25. But if you're asking me right now, nine days ahead of it, you know, which way I would lean, I would say DB and offensive line at 22 and 25. So you're not saying, so they don't have to go offensive line. And we were talking about this to start the show, Doogie, that my colleagues here, they seem to think you have to address the offensive line in the first round. I said you have so many holes right now and holes at premium positions that I would just take the two best players at any one of those four premium positions where they have needs right now. Yeah, I mean, you could even argue, Rami, right, that, that you know, the defensive line is a need, right? Whether it's an edge rusher or maybe even a, a defensive tackle, depending on on how the board shakes out. I do think, though, that offensive line is a big-time priority, Rami. You know, I mean, heck, they have interest in Trent Williams. Can they find a way to trade for for the Washington All-Pro? You know, but if it's not him, I think they feel safer going offensive line early as opposed to waiting. Now, they did hit the jackpot, I think, in many ways, with Brian O'Neill in the second round a couple years ago. You know, and they've done homework. I mean, they had a virtual chat recently with Ben Barch, the kid out of St. John's. I mean, they've done their homework on second and third round offensive linemen, but I'm just telling you, if I had to bet right now, I think they go offensive line in the first round as opposed to waiting. But, hey, there's a kid from Boise, Ezra Cleveland, who they've done all sorts of homework on. I think he might be there at 58. That might be rolling the dice a little bit. I know Gil Brand and some other draft pundits really think highly of him. But there's a chance that whether it's Cleveland or some other offensive lineman, they could in theory go offensive line in the second round. Heck, Rami, they also have the ammo with 12 picks to move up, right? Five in the top 105. If they want to move up from 58, get somebody higher up in the second round, I mean, that's an option as well. You know, the board sort of resets there on Friday morning. You know, get through that first round, you know, and and figure out where you're at on Friday morning. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily rule out a possibility like that. I just know that, that Rick loves to trade. Trader Rick, right? So at some point he's going to make at least one trade. I would bet on him making multiple trades next weekend. I'm just 
telling you, though, Rami, I'm convinced that offensive line is a big-time priority. So if I had to bet, I think they go offensive line at 22 or 25. That likely would be the USC kid or the Houston kid. Dukes, what's the plan here as far as, as the draft goes, too? So Rick's going to draft from his basement, basically, and then is Zim and Brzezinski going to be on, on Skype, or do, do we have an idea about how teams, and the Vikings in particular, are going to approach a process that ordinarily has them sitting side by side by side and uh, communicating that way? Yeah, I mean, it's so fascinating, Judd. I mean, I'll have a better idea. I think we all will have a better idea. My understanding is Rick is supposed to do some sort of Zoom media chat early next week, so I would hope that he would lay it out. I believe that Mike will be at his ranch in Kentucky. That's the last I had heard of him. You know, then George Payton, Rob Brzezinski, presumably those guys will just be all in their basements. To me, the most fascinating tentacle to all this is the craziness of undrafted free agency. So the draft ends on Saturday. Think about it. Normally, they're all in their war room, right? And you're making calls to agents. You're getting the green light sometimes via thumbs up on, yeah, we can go a little bit higher on on a signing bonus. Like they gave Jake Browning, the quarterback from Washington, absurd money last year to to secure him. Like how exactly do you execute late Saturday afternoon? So the seventh round ends. Boom, you're on the phone trying to sign a really good undrafted free agency class. How exactly do you execute that when you're not all in the same room? So I, I wish I had a great answer for you, Judd. I guess I'll have a better sense early next week. Interesting. All right, Darren Doogie Wolfson here from Five Eyewitness News and the Scoop Podcast. Uh, have you had a chance to talk with anybody with the Timberwolves or anyone close to Carl Anthony Towns these last 24 hours? I, I, w- I will say, and uh, and you're in the club of someone who has experienced the loss of a parent, Ryan Saunders can be a big help, I think, to Carl Anthony Towns if, if Towns is, is open to it. And everyone grieves and handles things differently, but... Uh, but this is a chance maybe for Ryan to build an even deeper connection with his star player, just with what he went through four years ago. But, Doogie, what are you hearing from the Timberwolves in the last 24 hours or so? I mean, complete sadness. I mean, some shock. I mean, there was some thought, Phil, that she was actually making some progress along the way, even though she was still in the ICU. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, just total devastation. you know. And I know a lot of people are curious, heck, league-wide. You know, how will Carl react? You know, I mean, how does he handle all this? I thought he was he was eloquent in that social media video that's now gotten upwards of, of two and a half million views from a few weeks ago. You know, he, he cut open a vein or two, you know, and I just know how close he is to his family. I think it is genuine. You know, some people think it's showmanship and, and he's putting on, you know, some sort of display for, for the media and for fans. I think it was always genuine. I really got that sense just being around him a little bit and knowing others that know him way better than me, that, that the bond he has with his dad and had with his mom was, you know, just as good as it gets, you know. And, you know, some of us have, have close relationships with our parents. Others don't. I just I always got the sense that, that Carl and his mom, you know, always had this super close relationship. I saw a video the other day, the, the day he announced he was committing to Kentucky. He had a press conference at his, at his high school in New Jersey. Just, you know, just seeing the hug you know, that his mom gave him, and, and just the love in that video clip I saw the other day. I mean, it just, I don't know how you don't start to tear up, you know, and, and we've talked about this before, you know, I mean, you know, for a lot of us, we're like, you know, we sort of have wrapped our arms around the coronavirus, but, you know, until it really impacts you personally, well, now, you know, somebody we cover on a, on a daily basis, you know, somebody that we think is, is untouchable has been impacted. Heck, me personally, Phil, I have an aunt and uncle in Ocean City, New Jersey, both tested positive. They're in their 50s. 
you know, so I guess, you know, they're not 60, so I guess they're on the right side age-wise, and thankfully, after about 10 days, they're on the right side, you know, health-wise. They're, they're still recovering a little bit, but they're going to make it, and they're home now, you know. But for a lot of people, they can't really relate because they don't really have a, a personal connection to this. But, you know, now that Carl Anthony Towns has, has just a, a tragic personal connection, I think a lot of Wolves fans have opened their eyes and said, okay, this thing, if I didn't believe it was real before, now I do believe it's real. But in terms of just reaching out to some Wolves people, Phil, just, you know, total devastation. Do you feel stupid even asking this question after you very eloquently laid out what you just laid out there? But from a basketball standpoint, are are people within the Timberwolves organization basically operating like like it's the off season and they won't be returning to the court, or are they prepping and and staying ready in case the NBA does call teams back to the court somehow, some way in the near future? Well, they're certainly doing the former, Rami. I mean, just with the draft, three picks in the top thirty-five, needing to figure out you know what to do with Malik Beasley and his restricted free agency, needing to figure out, you know, what to do with, with what looks like what they should have, the mid-level exception, you know, in terms of free agency, you know, who, who should they target? You know, so I know the front office is working diligently on, on those fronts. You know, Ryan Saunders and the other coaches are, are operating as if, you know, maybe they'll get back at it. But, like, a lot of guys don't even have access to a hoop. You know, like, I know Jordan McLaughlin, I talked to him a couple weeks ago. He's out in Los Angeles. He's one of the few guys that's actually not in town. A lot of the Wolves players decided to stay in town. He's one of the few that bailed. You know, he said he does have access to a hoop, but he just knows from, from texting with some teammates that some teammates don't have access to a hoop, Rami. So I don't know exactly how you stay in basketball shape. You can certainly do some, some exercises at home and, and stay in, in good physical shape, but in terms of basketball shape and just, you know, getting shots up, I mean, I, I guess everybody is, is on an equal playing field, but I just don't know what the heck, that would look like you know then i think about a team like the la lakers lebron james all the mileage on his body at 35 years old how all of a sudden does he just ramp it up you know so i i still don't and i told you guys this two weeks ago and i guess i feel the same way you know call me a pessimist but i just don't see the scenario where even in five weeks seven weeks nine weeks uh maybe in nine months I just don't see the scenario in five, six, seven, eight, nine weeks where where we can see hockey games again, sadly, Judd, and, and see basketball games. Maybe there's oh, a plan right. for baseball midsummer, but I just I'm struggling. I really am. And trust me, this is my livelihood. Yeah. Like I just saw the note that, that there's some ESPN, you know, personnel taking pay cuts. You know, there's there's a popular morning show in town that's being furloughed, you know, from a radio standpoint. Trust me, it scares the living bleep out of me. What could happen to all of us? You know, like this is our livelihood, but I'm I'm being a realist, and I just don't see the path to seeing any games anytime real, real soon. Uh, speaking of, of all those things, Doogie, do we know? Uh, do the Wolves, Wild, and or Twins have any insurance on their FSN contracts? And by that, I mean Ooh. have the checks stopped already, or do they stop at some point? Because if they've stopped immediately for all three, and especially, I would guess baseball. That's an enormous immediate blow. It is. That's a fascinating question, Judd. I will check on that. I don't have the answer to that question. I hadn't even thought of that. I mean, there's so many different angles to attack on these things. I hadn't thought of that angle. That's that's a great question. Let me get back to you on that. Yeah. Okay. There it is. He was fishing. Yeah, score one for Judd. Great question. <laughs> fascinating. Came very close to well, satisfying okay. with, the committee. With, hold on. Well, yeah, I... that's, that's a great question. 
All right, he already got the point. But I got the point. Okay, real quick, would we have counted fascinating question? No, I don't think so. No. No, we said good or great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We said good or great. Yeah, that's why I was good or great question or good or great I was about point. to walk out. I was so disappointed. <laughs> All right. Well, I got the great question. That but means the Judd's on the board here. I'm curious about this. That, I am too. That's yeah. lifeblood yeah. for yeah. those teams. my interest now. Yeah, I'll check on that. All right. Thank you. Judd with seven good questions on the season so far. I lead with 10, Rami with four, and Jonathan with three. Right in your tail now. Season, so. Right on your tail. Um, yeah, Doogie, it's, uh, I, I think we've all had a hard time wrapping our heads, like whether it's from a selfish perspective, if you work in sports media like all of us bozos do, or if you're a fan or a player or whatever role you play in this ecosystem, we've had a hard enough time wrapping our heads around, man, like what if... What if the baseball season doesn't start until July? And the, the the reality that we have yet to really fully confront and wrap our heads around is, what if there are no sports until 2021, Don't which is still me. a possibility? Don't do that. Just no, going to say right. it. No, let's not even contemplate that. For my sanity. Let's it is, though, Rami. I, I mean, sadly, it, it, it is a possibility. You know, and I saw the first collegiate domino fall today. It's It's somebody we know, Phil. John Cunningham, the former Gophers yep. associate athletic really? director, who's now the AD at Cincinnati, he announced they're cutting men's soccer. So that's the first collegiate domino to fall. What's the next? I mean, it's inevitable. I think a lot of college athletic programs are going to have to cut sports. I think that conversation will come up here mm-hmm. at Minnesota. I think for a long time, a lot of us have thought they have too many teams. I don't know where to start cutting, but there are too many teams. But I'm just telling you, with Cincinnati, a pretty big athletic department announcing men's soccer is gone. I'm just saying, sadly, I mean, I think we're gonna we're gonna find out here in the near future that other collegiate programs are cutting sports as well. Man, yeah, it's a tough time to be a non-revenue college sport right now. I would think, you know, just like there was a Star Tribune report that the Gophers athletic department alone was sitting on like a seventy million dollar gap, right? Like yeah. with mm-hmm. all the spring sports gone. And but think about that. That doesn't even count. Like if football season gets pushed, or which it almost certainly is going to for college football. So, man. Well, I mean, in that case, then Judd. I mean, if if that does happen, I mean, there's going to be all sorts of fallout. How about this angle, Phil? What about fundraising? Like they still, before this pandemic, were still trying to raise funds to pay off the athletes' village. Yep. How the heck in this climate do you raise funds? I. I just don't know. Yeah. Doogie, give us 60 seconds of any other scoops that are left in your scoops bag. Eric Wilson, Vikings linebacker, expected to sign his second-round tender in the coming days. It'll pay him around $3.3 million. I had a lengthy conversation this afternoon with Tyler Johnson of the Gophers, and, you know, he'll probably be a Saturday pick, you know, fourth or fifth round. But what stood out to me was, Matt Miller of Bleacher Report, who's a respected draft analyst, came out months ago and said he had heard from some teams that there were character red flags with Tyler. I asked Tyler about that. He said, and he's talked to at least six teams that I know of, probably more, he said he claimed to me, guys, that, that not once has a team asked him about any character red flags. Hmm. You know, So that, to me, was the headline for my conversation with Tyler. Trey Jones committing to Bill Duffy and Associates. He'll sign with the agent Kevin Bradbury that also represents his older brother Tyus Jones. Daniel Oturu, former gopher, also going with Kevin Bradbury. Tyrell Terry of DeLaSalle, Stanford University, first team, all freshmen, you know, Pac-12, all sorts of different honors. Great, great guard for the Stanford Cardinal. He's committing to an agent, but he's committing to a smaller agent out of Chicago that is certified 
by the NBA. So there's certain agents you can sign with that you can still maintain your eligibility. So Tyrell Terry will have an agent working on his behalf. Because this agent is certified by the NBA, Tyrell, if he so chooses, can end up back at Stanford for his sophomore year. That is Darren Doogie Wolfson from Five Eyewitness News and from the Scoop podcast, available on Apple, Spotify, and the Score North app. Inside information about our local sports teams. Doogie, stay safe. We'll talk again next week, man. Okay, sounds good, guys. Take it easy. All right. Um, yeah, go find Doogie's podcast. Yeah, that's where are you guys at with all this? Because not not to keep picking at wounds here, but I think we've had a hard time. Sports fans, you know, us, we sit here every day and we look to entertain and inform when we can. But, you know, I've had a hard enough time thinking about, man, it really would suck if baseball didn't come back until July. And I've kind of ignored the other dark hallway, which is what if all of it just goes on hiatus until January? I don't even want to consider that. I'm dead serious. When I was saying that before, don't do that to me. I am dead serious. Look, I can... And Doogie says that's the reality of it. I understand that's the reality of it. I've gone through much of my life with blinders on and <laughs> ignoring the reality of things that make me sad and depressed, okay? So leave me be. Leave me in my peace. Leave me in my ignorance. Ignorance is bliss in this particular case. I don't need to think about no sports in 2020. If that's what we're dealing with, I will cross that bridge when we come to it. Right now, I'm on, I'm day-to-day right now, guys, all right? I'm not questionable. I'm not probable. I'm day-to-day right now. That's how I'm handling a world without sports and the hole that that leaves in my heart. Just day-to-day. I don't need to think about a whole a whole year without sports. Why would I even do that? Why would, I, why would I even consider that possibility and do that to my brain and do that to my heart? Why? Why inflict that pain on yourself? They've got to get it right. They can't come back. Do not come back a second before. If we have to do this again, shame on us. Agreed. Every one of our impatient butts. Agreed. So, so my my thing on gatherings, my thing on playing sports, my thing. You have to be as certain as you can that you got this right, because the worst thing, the worst thing, far worse than ha- having to wait until January one, for instance, of two thousand twenty-one to play sports again, is a sport comes back in July. Baseball, baseball starts, and now three guys test positive. For COVID nineteen, now we got to shut it down again and go back through this entire thing. So my philosophy on this is: we are doing this, and it stinks. It's not fun, but we're doing it for a reason, and that's to get this thing right. So when you step foot back on the ice, the court, the field, heck, back to a party, right, or a bar, mm-hmm. we need to have gotten this right. I don't want to go. I do not want to. Oh, whoops! And now fifty people are sick again, and we're thought we're it's going to be thousands soon. And now you got to yeah. hit a reset button. And I think no I'm starting to come to the realization too that if, for a while in my head it was, man, it's going to be so much fun when we flip the switch back on and we all just get to go gather at Target Field for the first time. And it's becoming increasingly more obvious that it's not going to be a switch that gets flipped; it's going to be a knob that gets turned. Right? It'll be like like sports will almost certainly come back without fans first. And then after that, we'll start to allow probably 5,000 fans into right. a baseball game and then maybe 10,000 fans. Right. You kind of started answering my question there is when we get to that point where we're allowing fans back into the stands again, are we really going to go back to allowing 60,000 fans inside U.S. Bank Stadium? Not or at is first. that going to, well, eventually, are we going to get there at all or is that going to change permanently? Well, I think for sure in the short term. Yes. So if, if you put fans back into a stadium, Again, like I have, this is just my own speculation, but my guess is you will mark off 
seats mm-hmm. and you will have 10,000 people or 5,000 people in a stadium instead of 60 or 100,000 people so that you can at least space people out. All right, this row has 20 seats in it, but there's only three people sitting in the row or whatever that looks like. So that people are just on sessions open. Yeah, public restrooms and all the points of and all the touch yeah, points in there. I don't even know if that's I, I I threw that out there the other day, Mac. I don't know that that's a realistic, feasible plan that that we're laying out of rope off every five seats and then the six seats somebody can sit in it. I don't know that that's feasible. Yeah. Do, do you do you guys think that every team in every sport survives this? Like, do you think the Tampa Bay Rays come back and hey, they're just fine because they're part of baseball? The Florida Panthers hockey team that doesn't really draw. Yeah. Do you think everybody comes back, or do you think that that we see for the first time in a long time some professional teams fold? Low revenue baseball teams and hockey teams in general. I agree with this. Like outside the top five, football are no one's mo- folding. More likely to be screwed in the NBA and the NFL. The revenue pie is so big, yep. and they've set up not to get like all into the economics of it, but basically the NBA and the NFL have these. $15 billion chunks of revenue pie, and they have set it up so that the players can't possibly, like the players only get a certain percentage right. so that the teams can still profit, right? Like every time we sit here and say, boy, the Wilfs always do what it takes. Well, yeah, but even if they max out their salary cap, the lowest teams in the NFL are still profiting like $200 million and they all split in season. That too. Yes. In baseball, so much of the revenue is is centered around local TV contracts and ticket sales and local merchandise sales. And there is revenue sharing, but like it's very possible that for the Rays and the A's and some of these other teams to stay alive long-term after this, that the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Phillies and these big market teams are going to have to fund those teams way more than they already do. And I'm curious if they're going to say, you know what, that's a fantastic idea, we're not doing it. We're good, just get rid of the Rays. Exactly. Not to mention, like the the division's easier like to you, win without the you could, you could pretty quickly contract hockey and baseball teams without a huge problem. Like, and hockey's crazy because hockey has a salary cap structure, so that in theory you're kind of balancing out the revenues. But even with that, there's just not enough revenue coming in. It's not like they have a huge TV deal. They're on NBC Sports Network. They don't have the NBA or the NFL's national TV contracts. I know. So if if hockey goes on hiatus and they're not bringing in revenue. Now, again, you could go to the next step and say, yeah, but billionaires own all of these teams, so would they go into their own personal worth and save the franchise? And I don't know. Right. It's unprecedented. But are they going going to put up with the potential losses that they would experience then? Correct. Because they didn't become billionaires by doing that. Correct. Like, this is a hobby. This is fun. Yeah, it would have to be a gesture of great will by. And if you're the Florida Panthers, you you already really don't draw. You could very easily say, "Let's hit the detonate button right now, boys." Did, did you guys see the poll that 72 percent of Americans polled said they they wouldn't go to a stadium at a or a sporting event at a stadium until there's a vaccine? Yeah, I think that's where I'm at. I don't blame them. Which is what? 18 months. Hopefully, at the earliest, probably. Yeah, I a mean, year to 18 months is what I'm hearing. It, I do think, you know, now that people like like Bill Gates has jumped in and said, all right, let's expedite the, the process of coming up with some sort of vaccine. Let's get the seven best ideas and build a facility, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, we're, we're going to have influential, rich people and entities expedite this process, but you're not going to expedite it so that it happens in September right. or November, right? 
I mean, there's a certain level of risk. There's a process to go through in terms of testing a vaccine and testing drugs that there's a timeline and there is really no speeding that up, no matter how much money you throw towards it. There is a process that you have to go through in testing vaccines and drugs that money can't necessarily. I mean, money helps in terms of funding more research and more studies and, and employing more scientists and doctors to get this done as quickly as possible. But once they think they have a vaccine, it's still a year to 18 months of yeah. testing it to make sure it's safe. And so then the only other sort of avenue to this would be if you get coronavirus and you recover, are you susceptible to get it again within six months? Like, what what is your... Are you good? Like like, if you get it, are you, are you good? Where you're good? Do we know good. enough about it? Uh, if enough people get it, I'm not testing that theory. I mean, yeah, I'd, I'm not rolling the dice. But I mean, a lot of people have said, and I don't necessarily disagree with this. Listen, if everyone's going to get it at some point, just give it to me now, so we can just get it, get it over with and move on. Unless, yeah, but the problem then is if if your body can't process it correctly, that that's the thing I think we don't know. Why are some people getting it and they're fine? Some people get super sick, but they come back, and some people just die. Yeah, like the whole process is is very very scary, and so that this whole thing of well, you know what, I'm just going to go out in the street and get this, and then I'll I'll have had it because I'm 25 and I'll I'll be fine. Yeah, but let's say God forbid you're one of the 120 year olds who get this and you're not fine. Well, I'll tell and now you what, you're drowning and you die. If black cherry white claw builds immunity, then. You're doing all right. I am the man of Surly Furious is the answer. I can confirm that because I've never felt better or fatter. One month in, still haven't buttoned a yeah. pair of pants around my waist. I'm, one actually, month. I'm actually just hooking up Truly IVs into my veins now. At I'm not night? even drinking it. Yeah, At night, you just, you're just yeah. like... Just give me that. I can't tell, give me that mango. I can't tell you the last time I buttoned up pants. I didn't think about that till just now, Judd. I honestly, March. I can't. I can you. give you a date. Mar- <laughs> March thirteenth. I flew back from my spring training trip to Florida. Flew back here. Wore jeans last time. So you got, you haven't worn. You, neither one of you have worn jeans in a no. month. Jeans? Is it like jeans? I can't like, even tell jeans, you if they fit anymore. Jeans aren't even formal. Like Why do I wear jeans. <laughs> I've been in hoodies. I I've had the Belichick going for one month. There I'm considering no, cutting off there's the sleeves of my hoodies to go official Belichick. There's nobody in the building. There's nobody in the streets. My girlfriend is in a different state. Who am I putting on jeans for? Who am I trying Rami, to impress with if, jeans? If your girlfriend was in your apartment right now, you'd still be wearing sweatpants. I don't know. We might. I don't know. I might dress up one night. We might have like a, a date night. In, Are you uh, kidding? Quarantine date night. Rami's like, I might class it up and put some Levi's on. <laughs> you got your Wranglers. You got your bell bottoms going around me? Amazing. No way. I'm done with buttons. Cram session. I'm telling Which you, PJ Fleck talked about a new normal, and he said, who says the new normal can't be better? If the new normal doesn't include buttoning up my pants, it's so much better. See, cr- so cram much session better. can be one of two things. It could be the segment where Jonathan asks us questions and awards us points based on our answers, or it could just be what we call trying to get back into our jeans after <laughs> Jonathan here with the Score North download for this hour. The 2009 Vikings, Game 163, the 2006 Twins, and KG's Wolves relive them all and more this Sunday from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. with a Minnesota Sports Rewind Marathon right here on Score North on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app, Minnesota Sports Rewind, available wherever you get your 
podcast. If you're just joining us, you missed you missed Doogie join us a little bit ago. He was talking about the Vikings O-line interest or interest in the offensive line coming up on this NFL draft next week. Here's what he said. I do think, though, that offensive line is a big-time priority, Rami. You know, I mean, heck, they have interest in Trent Williams. Can they find a way to trade for, for the Washington All-Pro? You know, but if it's not him, I think they feel safer going offensive line early as opposed to waiting. Now, they did hit the jackpot, I think, in many ways, with Brian O'Neill in the second round a couple years ago. You know, and they've done homework. I mean, they had a virtual chat recently with Ben Barch, the kid out of St. John's. I mean, they've done their homework on second and third round offensive linemen, but I'm just telling you, if I had to bet right now, I think they go offensive line in the first round as opposed to waiting, but hey, there's a kid from Boise, Ezra Cleveland, who they've done all sorts of homework on. I think he might be there at 58. That might be rolling the dice a little bit. You'll be able to find the full Doogie interview coming up here in just a little bit, about 20 minutes time here on the Mackie and Judd with Rami feed, wherever you find your podcast. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Mackie and Judd with Rami. Thank you, Jonathan. Before we get into cram session, we can't let another Tuesday go by here without... Let us not forget all the things that used to be percolating in the world of sports. Rami, let's start with you. Let us not forget. Let's let's throw one each out, and then we'll get to cram session here. All right. Hmm. I don't know. I I don't know that I got anything, guys. I feel like I've I've emptied this bin. I don't know that I got anything to remind people of. I think every three weeks you should be bringing the Astros back up at least. All right. Or the Red Sox. You can bring the Red Sox up too. Actually, did I tell you guys what's going on with the Red Sox? Have we have we talked about what's going on with the Red Sox? So oh. they they are denying. They are denying. Let us not forget okay. that the Red Sox never got their punishment. And I think I did bring this up once already that they in that in that lawsuit brought against FanDuel and Major League Baseball by daily fantasy players who feel like results were altered because of the cheating of the Houston Astros and the Boston Red Sox. They were asked, "So you disagree with the findings of Major League Baseball?" And they said, "That is correct." So the Red Sox are not admitting anything. Like the Astros admitted it and gave half-assed apologies. The Red Sox haven't admitted anything. And, by the way, did you guys remember that Steve Pierce was the World Series MVP in 2018? <laughs> Wait, that'd what? be a no from me. That'd be a definite no, dog. Dude, Steve Pierce, I covered Steve Pierce. He was part of twin spring training in like 2012. Yep. And I covered Steve Pierce. I've never seen a guy wear sunglasses indoors more often than Steve Pierce. Larry David once said, uh, two kinds of people wear sunglasses indoors, blind people and a-holes. Yep. And I'm assuming Steve Pierce, <laughs> not the former. Um, so but if you, need, so if you needed any more proof that the Red Sox were cheating, Steve Pierce was the World Series MVP in 2018 when he hit three home runs and had eight RBI as the Red Sox just Disposed of the Dodgers in five games, and he says, "You know what? It has been a good run." And as he announces retirement, I have ten years in there right now. I am officially retired. And then, when asked, this was in a conversation with WEEI about the investigations and the allegations that baseball has yet to release. That's such a joke to us. When it came out, we were all kind of joking about it. We just want this to pass us. We want it fair and square. Whatever they accused us of, we were all kind of like, I can't believe this is even an issue. Once the report comes out, we're all going to be free. You don't like it, especially that we were the champions and individually. I have that award and we have this floating over our head when we just had such an unbelievable season. We had the perfect team and great camaraderie (laughs) with everybody. And then this gets thrown out there. We're just like, what the heck? That's 2018 World Series MVP. 
Steve Pierce, who again, <laughs> super random, had three home runs and eight RBI in five games against the Dodgers. And once again, if you needed any more evidence that they were cheating, that's Steve Pierce. So why did their manager quit? <laughs> if great nobody question, cheated, John. why did their manager agree to resign? That's a great question, but you don't get a point for it. He like insta resigned too, right? Yeah, well, like, 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 like a report came in. He's like, all right, quit. Yeah. He couldn't resign uh, quick me. enough. Yeah, because yeah, he helped or- orchestrate the whole Astros thing before he went right. to Boston. Right. All right. That's let, how guilty he is. Let us not forget, mm. gentlemen, that right around the time coronavirus started, maybe even a week after, started becoming a thing here in February. Let us not forget that Cheryl Reeve had a weird falling out with Simone Augustus that we didn't really even talk about on the show because like we just went right into coronavirus mode. So here's the quote from Simone Augustus that she had on her Instagram video a few weeks ago. It's been two weeks and I'm still bleeping crying, she said after she had signed with the Los Angeles Sparks. Really? Some part of me is still confused and a little bit frustrated. Things happen for a reason and there's always something good on the other side. What is it? I don't know. The unknown is very scary for a lot of people. Minnesota offered more money than L.A. I just could not get over my feelings. It was never about the money. It was about the way you engage with people Especially someone you spent so much time with. She didn't name Cheryl by name, but this seems like do we need to be that between cryptic? her and Cheryl Reeve? Can't we? If we're going to reveal that much, can't we just tell us what went wrong exactly? So, I'd like a play-by-play, please. I mean, maybe it'll come out at some point, but it is like the the, the dynasty links. Seeing one of the centerpieces, yeah. well, one of the centerpieces oh. just quit the, the WNBA altogether. Yeah, to do good things and to help turn around. Uh, you know the the cases of. People who are wrongfully put in prison, but mm-hmm. let us not forget that Cheryl Reeve had a weird falling out with Simone Augustus. That's a good one. I let forgot us, about that. Let us not forget. That's the point of the same. Gentlemen. Thanks. Let us not forget that I had become convinced that, that Miko Koivu, 15-year member of the Wild, was in his last season in 2019-20. Let us not forget that I thought his last home game was going to be a very special night where where he was honored in a way as if to say, you have been a 15-year loyal organizational member, you have been a key captain, and now your time here, as Herb Brooks would say, is done. Let us not forget that I think now we're going to have a very good chance that guys who were supposed to retire after the 2019-20 campaign might try to come back for one more year because it ended abruptly. Let us not let that happen. So let us not forget the greatness that was Miko Koivu in the efforts he gave in his final season with the Wild. All right, there it is. Let us not forget. And maybe this thing's lasting so long that we're like running out of things that we we're oh, I got go more. back to the ground. I got I'll come more. up with a few more. I can guys. kick more people okay. right out the door. If My you apologies need to. We'll for not coming prepared. I, I, I'll come I up with I feel like your red side, your Steve Pierce thing was very solid. Thank you. All right, Jonathan, let's fire this up. A little cram session here to wrap <laughs> Who's the winner? Some may say none of them. But let the games begin. Three questions, one winner. It's cram session with Mackie, Chud, and Rami. All right, thank you to loyal listener and cram session statistician Marcus, who keeps score for us every week. So far this season, Judd Zolgad with seven cram session victories, Rami with four, and myself, Phil Mackey, with three. On our video stream here. I'll I'll do a screen share here in a second. Yeah, that's my bad. I just forgot. All-time win-loss totals, Judd with 27, Rami with 20, Phil with 19. Jonathan asks us three questions and then awards us a point based on who he thinks answered the question correctly or the best or sucked up the most. 
fire away, Judge Jonathan. All right, so it's safe to say, it's probably safe to say, a large portion of the Minnesota sports fan base watched ESPN last night as they showed the Vikings-Packers game last night with Favre as the Vikings quarterback. So what is your favorite incident of an athlete playing on a team that people might not remember them playing on? So obviously take out Jordan on the Wizards, Favre on the Vikings, Montana on the Chiefs. Take out the big ones. What's your favorite incident of that happening? Phil, you want to go first? Sure. Yeah, I'll give you one. I mean, one that one that was sort of obvious when you when you think about like yeah we remember him playing but I, but Randy Moss played in a Super Bowl with the San Francisco 49ers I forgot all about that think about that for a second Eight, did he wear 18 I don't remember no he wore 84 did he okay he wore 84 with San Francisco they wore a weird number okay yeah he played against Baltimore and caught two yeah. passes for 41 yards in that game Two passes for 41 yards in a Super Bowl game. Randy Moss playing in a Super Bowl with the San Francisco 49ers is my answer. Super weird. All right. Uh, you guys, I think we all remember, except for maybe Jonathan, he might be too young to remember, a young Shaquille O'Neal in the Orlando Magic when they were a oh, yeah. expansion franchise. A lot of my early Marv Albert NBC Game of the Week memories are Shaquille O'Neal. Orlando Just Magic. Breaking backboards yeah. left and right. Yeah. That, then he makes the big move to the Lakers. from the Wolves, yes. Goes to La La Land. Yeah. And they recreate Showtime, he yeah. and Kobe Bryant. Right. He goes to Miami, wins championships with Dwayne Wade. Then do you guys remember that Shaquille O'Neal finished out his career with runs in Phoenix, yes, yeah. Cleveland, yep. and the Boston Celtics. That's right. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, I do. Nobody remembers sad. that. The Phoenix thing was hilarious because it didn't make sense in the moment either because they were still playing fun ball, I think. Yeah. yeah. They were still winging it up and down. And they're like, What's, is Shaq just going to stay on one end of the court? And they're going to play four on five defensively? That, dude, that happened. And I saw it. And I can't envision Shaq in any of those uniforms. <laughs> I can't yeah. envision Shaq in a Suns uniform, a Cleveland uniform, or a Boston Celtics uniform. And I saw it with my eyes. But my mind's eye has erased that and refuses to acknowledge it. Well, I think I think with Boston, he mostly just sat on the bench, right? I don't think he actually played a lot. Let's see. I remember right. That was a lot of green jersey, I'll say that. <laughs> a lot of green. Yeah, he didn't play very much in Boston. <laughs> he played in... Uh, it's still weird. It's he still... played in 37 games, and uh, he was averaging about 20 minutes per game. All right, mine? Yeah. All right, I've got... <sighs> I wrote down five here, but I'm going to give you one that I covered in 2003 because I saw it in person in in Sun Devil Stadium in Arizona, and it looked completely bizarre. And he should have been retired, but he wouldn't. Emmett Smith as a Cardinal. Emmett Smith as a Cardinal was absolutely this guy, lifetime cowboy. He had been so great. And I would make a case that when when a running back goes, there might be next to a quarterback, there might be nothing more pathetic in sports because they can't move, they can't run. Um, So of the five that I've written down, probably the one I saw in person that I was like watching it, and I was like, really? That doesn't look right. Emmett Smith is a Cardinal. Randy Moss is a good one. Emmett Smith, that one bothers me because that one was one where he obviously was just hanging on to add more to his rushing total. My nephew is named after Walter Payton. That bothers you? That this man (laughs) hung on and played long after he should have quit to break Walter Payton's record? Yeah, it's annoying. Yeah. He also played in Arizona for like three or four years, Two years. Was it two Two years? Like 03 and 04. I looked it up. More than a year. But it was pathetic to watch. It was sad. It was really bad. But I'm going to go Shaq in a Suns uniform. Just It's so weird. (laughs) 
Didn't he nickname himself the Big Cactus or something like that? <laughs> did, did he really? I think so. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's, that's, that's so Shaquille O'Neal. I love Shaq, and I think I yes, blocked I'm... all that out because I love Shaq so much. I didn't want to remember it. <laughs> it's hilarious. Should have come here. It's a great right. answer. Another Man, Timberwolf. Another Favre-related question here. Last night, watching that game, it was great. It was a great reminder of just how much fun Favre had on the field and how much that made it fun watching those teams play uh, that year. Outside of Favre and, in Rami's case, Michael Jordan, who have been your favorite athletes to watch play because they just seem to be having so much fun? I'll go first. One without any question because this guy was great and constantly looked like he loved what he was doing, Kirby Puckett. I've got four. Puckett won, Magic Johnson in basketball, Moss in football, not because he always looked like he was having fun, but because it came so easy for him. And then my hockey one, Alex Ovechkin. Because the man could score 50 goals, and he did a keg stand on the Stanley Cup. (laughs) But Puckett is my one. Puckett is the guy I thought was great. Pretty good. Robbie? I don't like the dude now. And in hindsight, all my memories of him are tainted, marred. But Sammy, nobody had more fun and smiled more on the baseball field than Sammy Sosa. Little crow hop out of the batter's box when he'd hit a home run. Always interacting with the fans Cork when he'd bats. run out to right field. Super Bowl's coming Look, out of I'm his not bat. De- I'm not defending his integrity. <laughs> the question was, who did you watch and, and, and hey, seem to be having so much fun? Ronnie, and the answer is Sammy Sosa. The guy, the guy had fun. Nobody was having more fun and enjoying playing the sport of baseball and telling people baseball has been very, very good to me and how much he loves America than Sammy Sosa, yeah. man. I'm telling you. Yeah, McGuire and Bonds had a lot of fun playing. It's, it's a lot of fun playing baseball when you're hitting 60 no, bombs. No, McGuire never looked like he was having fun. That guy looked miserable all the time. He smiled a couple times. Not really. Sammy Sosa was having a good time. Look, I'm not here to defend Sammy Sosa or his legacy. I don't can't stand the guy. And he should, all his records should be removed from the books. But he was having fun. All right. So here's my answer. Okay, I went. Like, you guys kind of went the star route with this one. The guy that popped into my mind, I've never seen a guy more excited to do the down and dirty work on an NBA court, like constantly smiling, high fiving teammates. And a guy who was more excited to set a screen with 20 seconds left on the shot clock at the top of the key for someone else to get points, Mark Madsen. Mark Madsen oh, gleefully God. celebrated <laughs> yeah, every you'd championship. Be too if you dancing on stage. NBA team with that much money. Like, have you ever seen a guy more excited to be the 12th dude on an NBA roster than Mark <laughs> Bleeping Madsen? Oh, Waving a towel. That's, that's a good one. Oh, that's man. solid. I'm going to go Kirby Puckett here. Just never seemed like he wasn't having fun on the field. Uh, last question. I introduced the game last week. Extend, evict, day-to-day. You guys are quarantined with these three guys, and you have to decide after day one what you want to do with them. Bill Belichick, Greg Popovich, and Nick Saban. All right, I'll, uh, I'll clear out first here. This was instant for me. like Just like boom, boom, boom. I want to spend as little time as possible with Nick Saban. He just seems like a miserable human being. Anybody who... A few years ago, he won the national championship, one of the 15 times he's won the national championship. And in the post-game interview, he's soaked with Gatorade. The confetti's coming down. Wasn't he he's, visibly upset that his team threw Gatorade on him? He was visibly upset yeah, that the team threw Gatorade that on him. Happened. And then in the post-game interview, 
He answers a question by saying, like, I, we got to get on to recruiting tomorrow and, like, back in the office. Like, bro, you just won. Dude, you make $10 million and you just won. Aren't like, you going to this Disney is it. This is the final level. Yeah, he can't make him. He can't so, allow himself to be happy. I need some joy in my life. Bill Belichick, unlikely to bring that joy, but I have seen him in Tommy Bahama button-up shirts. He can have a little bit of fun once sure. in a while. Yeah, he's really day-to-day. And Greg Popovich seems like a lot more fun off-camera than his on-camera persona, so I'm extending Greg Popovich. Yeah, I'm I'm identical to Mackey, uh, but f- for slightly different reasons. Like, if anything, Greg Popovich is just going to be quiet and not talk to you and give you one-word answers, which a lot of the time is probably what you want when you're trapped in a house with somebody. Bill Belichick, kind of the same. Like, you'll be like, Bill, what would you have for breakfast? And he'd be like, I'm on to lunch. Like, that would be the extent <laughs> of the conversation with Bill Belichick. I'm just on to lunch. But Nick Saban, yeah, he's just a miserable, angry person who doesn't seem to allow himself to have fun, and I can't, I can't be around that. I'd much rather be around quiet guy than constantly angry, unhappy guy. So I'm, I'm identical. My list is identical to Mackey's. I am the same, but I, I'm evicting Nick Saban because he is Bill Light. He is Belichick. He wants to be Bill. He, he's not a great coach professionally yet. He intimidates college kids. Can coach college. Belichick, here's the thing with Belichick. If you were forced to be quarantined with him and he didn't hate your guts, he's actually really smart and insightful. Well, all these guys are smart and insightful, though. Yeah, Saban, I'm I'm down on him. I think he's a putz. He's smart, though. Uh, Popovich, though, Popovich, I'm extending because Greg Popovich and I are going to sit down in our study and we are going to figure out how to make him no longer coach basketball. Greg Popovich, you're next United States president. Well, Greg Popovich sounds like be... you might have to battle Mark Cuban for sports figures. <laughs> Mark Cuban. Greg, Pop- Greg Popovich could be president of the country. All right, Jonathan. I'm giving the overall win to Rami today because he, was, he gave the reason for Popovich that he'd probably just be quiet, and that's what I want in a roommate. <laughs> during this, because someone is going to be quiet and leave me the hell out. One word answers, man. Like, hey, Greg, I was, I was thinking about jumping in the shower. Are you going to need the bathroom anytime soon? Nope. nope. That's it. That's all I need. Perfect. That's all I need. Perfect. <laughs> so uh, there it is. Rami picking up the cram session win today every Tuesday around 540 here on Mackie and Jump with Rami. Write that down and an accountability session tomorrow at 5 o'clock. You can find Mackie and Jump with Rami in podcast form on Apple, Spotify, or the Score North app. Please give us a five-star rating and a positive review. It helps spread the word to other Minnesota sports fans. And as always, Cram Session powered by Josh Arnold Investments, Judd Zolgad. And that's because now it's time to talk to Mr. Money Talk, Josh Arnold, where you always get straight, to- straight talk, not sure coded advice. You can get that straight talk by calling Josh direct, 952-925-5608, or you can listen to Josh right now with the Market Minute. Hi, Josh. Judd, I hope you're staying warm. That's all I can say. Back winter in Minnesota, I'm still thinking baseball season is going to start sooner rather than later, and the hits hits will keep on coming. Well, today was another day in the market where the hits kept on coming. Technology led led the way, in particular the mega names, um, Apple. Amazon, Netflix, Google led led the way up, and Microsoft, all very strong, all attracting a lot of money. Uh, Amazon got a very big uh, boost today as news came that their sales were going to be up 
significantly, not to mention Amazon has recently hired an additional 175,000 workers in the United States to meet demand for uh, deliveries. Amazon has been extremely strong. I still have a $3,000 price target on it. But, of course, after two strong days, do be prepared for a little bit of a uh, pullback. Apple had a nice, nice day as well, and Apple led the Dow up with the Dow closing up 558 points, closing at 23,949. Uh, Apple's move up came on the backs of news from the Chinese government that Apple sold two, two and a half million iPhones in China in the month of March, up from 500,000 in the month of February. Market participants are using that as a guide to what could happen with Apple's phone sales uh, when the U.S. and the rest of the world either goes back to work and or retail stores uh, start start opening up. Netflix, another strong name, uh, getting ready to report their their earnings. Netflix hit a new high, primarily on the strength of stay at home uh, stay at home sales. And Microsoft, still the largest company in the um, in the market by market capitalization had a very, very strong day as well as uh, analysts look to Microsoft's Teams uh, uh, product to propel their sales going forward. Teams is part of the stay-at-home, work-at-home theme uh, that we've been, been focusing on. Technology has been strong overall, and sectors uh, definitely matter. The market, even with the strength uh, as measured by the by the S and P 500, is still down 13 and a half percent for the year. Um, I and my clients are feeling very happy as we've moved into positive territory. To see how these sector ten seconds, Josh uh, bets can sector bets can make make sense for you. Don't hesitate to give me a call at the office at 952-925-5608. You always get straight talk, not sugar-coated advice. Thanks, Investment Judd. advisor services offered by Josh Arnold Investment Consultant, LLC, a registered advisor in the state of Minnesota. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk.